All the second stage tanks now pressurized. 35 seconds and counting. We are still going. Welcome. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending. Are we beginning to see the formation of a fundamental shift in the American dream of home ownership? A weekly mortgage market update. 20 seconds and Providing up-to-the-minute information of Chinese investors in the real estate market. And they're really starting to have an impact, but it's only... On interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. If you look at it on a dollar value, it's significant. If you look at it on a unit basis, it's inconsequential to the overall big market. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Here's the deal. How much of the market, real estate market, is comprised of this type of property? 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. And now, here's Five, your host of Lickin' on Lending. David Lincoln. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, October 16, 2017. We share that with so many of you because many of you listen to this on a downloaded basis. You listen live and you listen loaded on a downloaded basis. Loaded basis, too. Loaded, locked and loaded, ready for this program. So anyway, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and an increasing number of real estate professionals are now listening. We're glad to have you here with us. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere, commuting in the car, working out, wherever. I love hearing where some of you listen to the podcast. It's good to have you with us, everybody. And now we just ask you to sit back, join in, listen, and learn. You can text me some information, 512-632-2900. Text me your questions. I get a fair number of those when they're coming in during the podcast. It's always fun to hear from our listeners live. And your feedback is valued. On today's hot topic, we've got Jim Blanchard. He's a certified Berkman consultant. He's a facilitator of many leadership sales programs and management programs. He just does a great job, and we're so excited to have him here. He'll be talking to us about how can we be more effective. What's the key thing about what we all do? What's the one thing? In the mortgage business, it's a relationship-driven business, right? Well, how do we relate to each other? How do we communicate to each other? Jim is an expert in this field, and we're so excited. And people say, well, I've had a Berkman consultant do my assessment. Well, I quote David Kittle on this one because Kittle says, you know what? I had that, and I told him, well, you still have to do it if you want to join up and work with me. And he said, I want to work with you, so I'll endure it. I'll do it. Set up a 20-minute conversation. He called back an hour and a half later says, I'm rescheduling uh, more time with Jim. That was the most amazing thing. You should just say the Berkman with the Blanchard effect. And so we're going to have the Blanchard impact on the Berkman assessment and how you can use those tools. So excited to have you join in on the whole program. want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative Raystar program, and Motivity Solutions, now part of the Black Knight family, providing real-time reporting, dashboard, and scorecards. And that's going to be really a nice tool when you put it on top of, sit on top of the data that's over there at Black Knight. Very cool, very effective. Belma, it's a very effective mortgage marketing and email platform. And we're going to have more on that here in the month of November, talking about how you can effectively market and communicate with your people. Then also Simplify. Nancy Alley and the team there at Simplify did a great time of communicating in a real-time electronic communication exchange with closing agents and with all those that you with whom you're doing business. Now, they have also e-signings, e-closing, so you have to pay attention to the whole package and encourage you to check out their website. Then also the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network, something where we had Jim Blanchard, our Hot Topic guest, present at this year's summer conference. A lot of feedback. Our table was rushed afterwards with requests for the Berkman. Then also we want to say a special thank you to Finastra. Finastra is the third largest fintech company in the world with 10,000 employees in 42 countries with 9,000 customers worldwide. Pretty impressive. And we're going to be broadcasting next week, folks, from the Mortgage Banking Conference in Finastra's booth. Now pay attention. Because of some, for those of you who are at the conference, we may be changing up the schedule just a little bit so that we can make sure we can get to one of the top presentations. So we're working on that as well. Let's see here. What else can we talk about here? we got the upcoming conference. We are going to hear about that more in a minute. Rob's got a word on that. Also, the Risk and Compliance Summit 
in San Francisco, November 1st through the 3rd. And it's put on by Compliancees. Go check out their website. Put Risk and Compliance Summit. Compliancees, it'll pop right up. Get out there. Get attended. It's actually, I think it's almost filled up, but if there's maybe a few seats left for you to get in on it. I'll be talking and doing a presentation on developing a compliant social media strategy. And I'm going to have Alice Alvey hooked up to my cell phone, let her hear everything. She correct me while I'm doing it. I don't know if that'll work. I was just joking. I'd love to get all that. We do have Don Lamp, who is going to be presenting with me. And so we'll get out there. It's going to be a great discussion. And I look forward to sharing that with you. As We're going to be talking and repeating that uh, the first week in November. We're going to be kicking off a social media marketing strategy discussion. And we'll have Don on as our guest then. Then also, the November 15th to the 16th, I'll be the keynote speaker at MGIC's Focus 2017 in Nashville. All right, so we're going to get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute with Rob and an update from the MBA. Here you go. Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest from the Mortgage Bankers Association. The Mortgage Action Alliance, or MOZ, 2017 Action Week just came to a close. 63 companies added 4,500 new MA members, and over 1,300 industry advocates downloaded the MA app, placing the current MA membership at a record 22,000. Turning to research, MBA's weekly applications survey showed that mortgage applications decreased 2.1% from one week earlier, and the average contract interest rate for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage increased to 4.16%. MBA has two upcoming events of note, Empowering You, an MBA Summit for Women in Real Estate Finance, which takes place October 21st in Denver, Colorado. It precedes MBA's annual convention and expo, October 22nd through the 21st, also in Denver, Colorado, and featuring former NFL quarterback and two-time Super Bowl champion Peyton Manning. Thanks for joining me this week on the Mortgage Minute. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you at the conference, everyone. Alice and I will be there. We've got a good number of attendees. Alan Pollock will be there. This is going to be one of those really important conferences, especially as we consider and focus on some comments being made by uh, right on top of our radio program. That's why we may be rescheduling the time of our program, by the way. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, head of HUD, as well as Mel Watts. So could be some signals, I think, coming possibly from them. And so we'll be... Um, sharing all that there. Well, let's get into the what's happening with the markets. Let's start off with Les Parker, our good friend Les Parker, with Loan Logics with an update on the market. Les? It's great to be with you, Dave. Loan Logics sponsors Market Logics Live. Well, Well, notes won't back down. No, they won't back down. Trades can stand notes up at the highs or the lows, but they won't back down. With conviction, the 10-year continues to go nowhere. But it's October. Will it be surprise, trick or treat, or is it a tweet? The mix of trends among related markets offer opportunities for surprises and tricks. Remember, the 10-year is technically bearish. The dollar's up, the euro is down, ag, metal, and energy futures trends are up, down, and sideways. But the sweet treat comes with mortgages staying bullish. Who knows about tweets? Don't be surprised with lower rates this week. These views are my own. Go to LoanLogics.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. Well, Well, that is that is better mixing. We've been working with Gary Kentrabone, who does all the mixing of all that segment. And that, I, at least on my side, it came across a lot better than the audio of the last time. So, Joe Farr, good to have you on the program, everybody. We have Joe Farr, hey. which is of MBS Quote Line. And, Joe, I am on your website. Dang, that is a good website for concise, to-the-point information and encourage people to check it out. So if they yeah. were looking at your site right now, what would they be? Uh, they, what would they be reading? See, MBS prices are down a little bit today. Not a lot. Only a few thirty seconds. And you know, this morning, actually, most of this maybe has to do with Janet Yellen yesterday. She put, she made a pretty yeah. hawkish speech, and yeah, you know, the market perceived that as uh, a further indicator of an increase in December. In fact, uh, the expectations now in the CMA futures is for uh, ninety, what is ninety three percent chance of a rate hike in December. That's up from just Friday uh, at eighty three percent. You know, I guess once you're at eighty three, that little increase doesn't matter a whole lot. But it's almost certain now, and much of that was due to a, a speech by Yellen yesterday. This morning, the only thing that came out was a stronger than expected uh, Empire State Index. Of course, that's a, just a regional deal and not a big market mover, but it exceeded expectations by a bunch and 
it too contributed to a small drop in prices today. And, you know, when you compare what's going on today to what happened last week, last week, just about every day, you saw an improvement in MBS prices. None of them were really big movements, but the bigger movements did come on Thursday and Friday. On Thursday, a strong treasury auction, 30-year treasury auction, caused increased MBS prices. And then on Friday, you know, big data came out on Friday. Fortunately, yeah. the market focused on the bond-friendly data rather than the data that maybe would have had the opposite effect on things. The inflation data, CPI came out Friday. The overall number was a pretty hot number at 2.2% inflation. But when you back out the hurricane-related energy cost increase and, and just get to core inflation, it was exactly what it's been the last five months. So at least that trend is flat as opposed to rising like several other inflation indicators have been. And that was good for MBS prices on Friday. Also on Friday, uh, retail sales data came out. It too was better than expected. And the Commerce Department even admitted Commerce that they right don't now. know. Yeah, they don't know <laughs> if uh, if the hurricanes were good or bad for that number. You know, there there were positive and ne- negative effects associated with hurricanes. So as I've said before, I think that's going to be the case for some time to come. And and everything that is looked at will be what was the hurricane-related effects to that. So the market focused on the inflation data and improved MBS prices on Friday. You know, other than than that, not really much came out. At 10 o'clock on Friday, though, the the consumer sentiment came out, and it jumped to the highest level since 2004. Yeah, that Uh, was really interesting. I think that's really was. And the market did react a little negatively to that number, but still ended the day better. For the week, MBS prices improved about three eighths of a point. This week, yeah. What is about a this week? week? Yes, this. Yeah, yeah not a lot. I'm hoping, but you know, of what is out there, I'm looking at the National Home Builders Survey. Housing, that's going to be uh, well. That's that's one of the items that's out there. I don't know. If, which that's one a do you big think? one. Then housing. Well, the existing home sales is the bigger number, although it's somewhat a, a little dated in that it's closings from contract signed a couple months ago, right. but it is 90% of the market. So existing home sales number on Friday will be big. Housing starts on Wednesday and then home builder sentiment, as you mentioned, comes out tomorrow. So all of them will contribute toward a, a better understanding of what the housing market looks like. And those two are going to be somewhat affected by, you know, housing starts are certainly affected mm-hmm. by the hurricanes. And Existing home sales, you know, uh, maybe all those people that had signed contracts backed out of them in time. Uh, again, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, industrial production is about the only other big event next week. It comes out tomorrow, and then uh, the last little regional manufacturing index is on Philly Feds on Thursday. So, And not a lot of Fed speakers this week. Janet Yellen's making a speech on Friday. I'm not sure what the expected content will be in her speech, but it's hard to imagine she'll add too much more than what was said yesterday. Her speech or Trump's tweets? I don't know which is going to have a bigger yeah. impact. Or North Korea, who knows? But, you know, It's a great website for getting content, at least what's going on economic data. Wise. I, wanted and, and to, really I wanted to ask you, Dave, did you notice the new ability to toggle between 30 seconds basis points? It's, uh, I it's thought that page. was a yeah. really nice feature. I mean, you are constantly working on this. So, well, yeah, I, I was I was clicking on that earlier, trying to listen and click. I go, hey, this is a new feature. It's really cool. So yeah. it allows people to look at it from a couple perspectives. So you do a great job on this site, and I was just looking at it. I was clicking on some of your comments. I'm going, i got to ask you a question about this. So good job. And you allow people to dial in. They're not using it. They can call up and get, if they haven't taken advantage of it already, they can. If you have, don't come back. You can only eat so many times off the sample tray. You've got to sign up usually. Right. Yeah, but you, if you haven't eaten off the sample tray, you can go over there and actually download and, and get access to it for a few weeks there and get some use. So, Joe, how's the best way for people to get a hold of you and, and uh, to be able to sign up? Email address joe.far at mbsquoteline.com or phone number 512-637-1763. Appreciate you being on. Looking forward to your participating with our special guest today, Jim Blanchard. You heard him speak at the summer conference at TMC. And uh, looking forward to getting your perspective on it, too, especially uh, having been a Berkman student for a while now. It'd be fun to get your feedback on all that. So we'll be right back, folks, after this brief word from our sponsor. Are you using one of those expensive CRMs that your loan officers won't use? 
If so, then give my friends at Velma a call and let them help you create a customer journey that relies on the data and not on loan officer interaction. I encourage you to consider working with Velma to create a truly automated marketing experience for your organization. Velma makes marketing automation easy. Schedule a demo today at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Yes, and we've got a good network of professionals here on the program. Alice Alvey, Joe Farr, I've been here since the beginning. Gosh, almost. It's, is it eight years now, Alice? It's just hard to believe how long we've been doing this, but it, in many ways, it seems like yesterday. We're, I know it's, we're, we're past seven years. I think we're in our eighth year, I think, is what it is. Am I yep, mistaken? We're coming up to that. Yeah, we'll be coming we're, up to that. I'll have to look at the exact date. It was in the first, early, first quarter, later first quarter of the year. So, yeah. Well, you've been at it, and you've been providing updates, legislative updates. So, Alice Alvey, CMB, Vice President of Training and Education at Union Home Mortgage, our good friend Bill Cosgrove. What's the legislative update this week? Well, thanks, Nate. Well, yeah, what kept us busy a lot over those uh, seven to eight years was, you know, <laughs> implementation of the of TRID, right? So, right. actually, we're noting that TRID is now officially two years old from when we all had to start working with the LENCD. But one hole we're trying to still get cleaned up, the comment period did close for the black hole proposal that the CFPB had posted. For those of you who aren't sure what this is, there, there's an unusual part within the regulation that requires four days for a CD in some cases or an extra day for an LE uh, when they have to go out and you've got last-minute changes just prior to closing. And the, this proposed rule is to clarify that you know still only three days is needed if you're using the CD itself to reset tolerances. And so that comment period is now closed. We'll be watching to see how long it's going to take for this to actually be published and for us to have something we can actually work with. But oddly enough, we're not getting a lot of traction on some of the things we need in Congress, but two bills did move into ordered reported. So only about one in four bills move out of committee into the status. And what that means is now the committee is recommending that these two bills are actually brought for a full review by either the House or Senate, whichever they've come through. In this case, it's two House bills. One of them is for adjustments to the Humda ruling, which would really help small banks and credit unions. So in the new Humda bill, that's, you know, we're supposed to start taking all the new Humda data and start collecting that with applications on January 1st. And at the end here, we have some small entities having some problems with being able to report. So the new rule would require that if you had more than 100 originated closed-end and 25 HELOCs, you'd have to start reporting. And they want to change that to be 1,000 loans. Now, that's a big number mm. in my opinion. We're excluding yeah. a lot of entities. It's really not that hard. I mean, I get it. You know, you have to collect information. You have to have the systems to report it. And I understand small entities have limited staffing. I've worked with hundreds of them. But this is important data that to exclude that many more entities from Humda reporting to me means the data is going to be all skewed. But maybe there's something in there somebody can comment on to help enlighten me on why this would be a good idea. So the House bill, and we'll see if it gets any traction. The other group that must have way more lobby money than we do because the SAFE Act did not move anywhere. <laughs> SAFE Act transitional licensing hasn't moved anywhere. But a bill to preserve manufactured housing did which would exempt essentially their salespeople from having to be licensed. So one of the things that happened with the SAFE Act was anybody who actually worked for a manufactured home developer got looped in as being classified as a loan officer because they're paid on commission and they talk about, you know, financing arrangements. Well, right. they're trying to get themselves exempt 
you know, by fudging with the wording that, you know, it's not, you know, cars, they're essentially not selling real property. So, you know, and I get it. Some of the disclosures and the rules are real clunky for them. But to do full exception, I don't know. I I still have to think about this one to uh, talk to some of my friends over there because I, I think there is a downside. There's a benefit to them making sure they follow certain rules and they are properly trained and licensed. But I get it. A lot of the training and so forth isn't directed to their consumer-type lending product. So anyway, that bill did move forward to see if that gets voted on. There is a matching Senate bill. They'd also change the high-cost threshold. So they're really looking to take manufactured homes out of the loop when hmm, uh, specifically or SafeX specifically pulled them in. So we'll see what happens with that. So that's my report for today, Dave. Two things that move forward that uh, only affect two side groups and not the greater whole so far for safe act licensing. We'll see. Looking forward to seeing you in Denver next week, Alice, getting together. Hopefully, yeah, we'll get our schedules coordinated so we can actually spend a few minutes together. But it's good to have you here, and we'll look forward to having you live in the Finastra booth next week when we do the podcast, whatever whatever time frame we can pull that off. We're still working on getting that resolved. So good to have you here with us. Thanks so much. Say hi to Bill Cosgrove and the team there at Union Home. Looking forward to seeing you there in Denver. Let's have Dave Bolin come on, talk about Finastra. Hey, thanks a lot, David. Finastra is extremely proud to be a key sponsor of the Licking on Lending program. Known formally as DNH, Finastra's global lending division provides end-to-end solutions and innovation to the full spectrum of lenders, including independent mortgage bankers, community banks and credit unions, and even the largest banks globally. Learn more about how you can provide an innovative digital experience for your borrowers by leveraging our multi-channel point-of-sale solution, which includes the new MortgageBot Mobile, by visiting our website at finastra.com. Good to have you here, folks. One question came in, Alice, if you could unmute yourself, that came in. Uh, it's just some feedback on all the content that you have up on our website. I meant to mention that to you right after your segment. We are getting a lot of positive feedback, Alice, on all the regulatory stuff. People can go to the website, can listen to it, and several of your fans are saying really concise, good information in one place and they go you got to get alice to put a video up there have her put a video we got to meet alice some that haven't met you in person want a video alice so <laughs> guess what your fan your fan base wants a video up on your little link so uh, congratulations we've had over four thousand downloads since we launched that website and so yours okay. is uh, like like a it's very very positive. So we got to get someone. Got to get you introduced. We may have to record that while we're in Dallas or in Denver. Maybe we'll All get right. that up there. Oh, good. I'm glad they we weren't will. asking for a spreadsheet. I can handle a video. <laughs> Yeah, video, yes. Spreadsheets, yeah, we can do that, too. We can provide all. But it's really good. And they said it's exactly about time you did this because it really helps us go to a place. So, folks, if you have not been there, go over to the website, Licking on Lending. You can go to the regular download and listen to the podcast via the Blog Talk Radio. That will always be available. But if you really want to get and download specific content, you can listen to the whole podcast there or just the Hot Topic segment or each one of the participants' segments. Let's run over the uh, Simplifile ad. We'll be right back with, we're going to get Sam Garcia on next, and then we've got Alan Pollack to talk a little bit about technology. So we'll be right back after this brief break with Sam Garcia. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. I'm exactly one person just texted me. They go, why don't they want a video of Sam Garcia and Joe, Joe Farr? <laughs> I'm going... That's right, because we're a bunch of ugly old men. You know, we got Alice out there with all the knowledge, and, and she's, uh, she's just fun to talk to and just attractive as well. So anyway. anyway, Sam Garcia, good to have you on the phone. That cracked me up. Our listeners, Sam, absolutely bust my gut sometimes with some of the text messages I get in the middle of 
the program. I think that was so my anyway. mom that sent that last one to you. So did your mom <laughs> sent that one in, yeah. Anyway, Sam, good to have you. we got Sam Garcia, Mortgage Daily, on with us. Check out the website, MortgageDaily.com. What are some of the news stories that you're reviewing today, my friend? Well, you know, we're right in the middle of earnings season. Just started last week, so we get these, you know, rich details from the banks on their mortgage production and their mortgage businesses. Of course, we focus on originations because you know, new businesses that, right? So, um, yep. you know, look, just kind of looking through here, we saw that Bank of America and First Republic had their originations fall on a quarter over quarter basis. And the other side of that, City, Chase, PNC, and Wells Fargo had all had increases. So, mostly on the upside at this point. On on a year-over-year basis, though, cities' business plunged by more than half. And, of course, they've been uh, reducing the size of their business and focusing yeah, on that's those core yeah. customers. So one indication of upcoming mortgage originations for the nation's originators out there is application volume. And two firms uh, report that activity, but it was mixed. <laughs> Over at Citigroup, you saw applications rise 13% between the second and third quarters, which indicates that the current quarter, the fourth quarter volume, probably going to be higher than what you know they reported for the third quarter. But over at Wells Fargo, they had a 12% drop, so we're, we can expect that it's likely Wells Fargo will see lower origination. So, you know, these things are just piling in, by the way, all these reports. They just kind of overwhelm us here. But uh, I love the data, and I love the stuff they give because these are, you know, some of the biggest uh, originators out there. But, uh, yeah, we've got some other headlines. Uh, if you'd like, I could br- briefly review a few. Yeah, right, yeah, let's run through those real quickly, yeah, if we could. Okay, well, about, you know, moving back to Chase, uh, and, and its third quarter earnings report, it said it, that it's the biggest bank by U.S. deposits now. It just became that. And it's really funny because we look at their branch count each quarter. Since the second quarter of 2014, they've cut their branches. So banks are doing more with less, less interaction yeah, and, of course, a, more electronic it, activity. It, well, I but, think that's uh, an indication, at least on the mortgage side, that's more of an indication of it. We are seeing the impact of the electronic mortgage apps, and, the, and it all started you know, with the big Super Bowl series with Quicken Mortgage when they launched their Rocket Mortgage app. And I think everyone's kind of taking notice of that and overhead, and people are just being more mobile, Sam. So that's not terribly surprising. Now, what's really interesting is the purchase activity. That actually fell, and you have that as a news story. Yeah, because we do the you know that mortgage market index based on open close rate lock volume, and we saw right. that purchase money business this last week because we we cover the most recent seven days, so the week ended basically Friday. It's the lowest level it's been since January, so really weak week. But on the other hand, it was Columbus Day. Still, that's not not a holiday. It's like some of the other ones, you know, much bigger ones. So I don't know. That was kind of a surprise to see the purchase activity trip. Yeah, what's really but, interesting is it's who is it's falling for. It is a bit spotty. You talk to some lenders, their volume's up outrageously, and others it is trending. But there seems to be a general trend line down a bit. So that's not terribly well, one, surprising. One thing we could, we could probably note is that uh, it's non-banks tend to do a little bit better with the purchase market because the banks right. all have these big servicing portfolios, so they take a bigger hit when refinances drop. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the GSE, it sounds like there's some good activity in the secondary markets. I see a headline on that. Yeah, that's right. And of course, we talked about some secondary transactions last week. Well, more recently, Fannie Mae said it's selling $3.6 billion in re-performing and non-performing loans. Those are two different offerings. So uh, it's a lot of loans, you know, and of course it's selling it from its a uh, huge, massive investment portfolio. But uh, yeah, so there was two offerings. One's performing, uh, one is re-performing, one is non-performing. Yeah. And then you have a report up there in your stories about mortgage conditions and mortgage credit conditions, excuse me. You could touch on that briefly, and we'll wrap it up with that. Yeah, you know, the Mortgage Bankers Association puts out that credit availability index. Uh, credit availability, month. yes. Yeah, yeah. What we've got in MBA to give us is basically historical data going way back, and we took a look at this last month. The mortgage credit conditions loosened. In fact, they're looser than they've been during any month since at least 2008. So I know we're still a far cry from where you know how loose they were before that, but you know, just during this period <laughs> post-crisis, things are looking good from as far as uh, lending ability and credit availability. May we never return back to the insanity that caused for this horrific crisis <laughs> and all the ensuing regulations. Yeah. Good job. Good, good amount of data. I, I love your website. You do a great job, mortgagedaily.com. Folks, if you want to get signed up, the data that is in Sam's website is really valuable, and it's so affordable compared to what you could get. You can get data from different places, but it's really affordable, and you get the headlines thrown in there a 
along with it. Or you can say I get the headlines and the data thrown in for free. So whichever way you look at it, it's really good stuff. But it's a great site, and I encourage you to check it out. Call Sam at 214-521-1300, or you can email him, Sam Garcia at mortgagedaily.com. So good to have you with us, Sam. Appreciate it very, very much. Always a pleasure. Sure. Let's run over to Jim Jump, get an update on the folks from our friends and sponsor at ArchMI. Jim Jump with Arch. Thanks, David. Let me tell your audience a little bit about ArchMI RateStar. RateStar is the most sophisticated pricing solution for mortgage insurance quotes ever built. RateStar has an advanced revolutionary design. It's simple to use. It's easy to access, and it's fully mobile. You can access it anywhere, anytime. RateStar provides a more sophisticated and dynamic pricing solution, far superior than conventional rate sheets. It's available on loan origination systems, through many pricing engines, and it rewards your origination of high-quality quality loans, again, with our most competitive rates. Of course, RateStar is backed by ArchMI's people power, providing superior support and service whenever you might need it. For more information about RateStar, please go to archmi.com or archmicu.com for credit unions. Thanks, David. They do a good job with credit unions. They do a great job with the mortgage market all the way around. Someone says, I have a client saying, should I get signed up? Wish I get signed up with. I go, you better have Arch on the list or you could find yourself at a disadvantage because of Arch's RateStar program really does help get the best pricing out to your customers. So check it out. Check out their website. You can learn more about them by going to our Lickin and Lending website and go from there. We've got Alan Pollock on the phone, and it's good to have him dialed in. Alan, you know, we deal with technology, and everyone dials in. So you'd think, you know, you're the head of technology. You're Mr. Technology, and I'm honored to be doing a new technology podcast starting after the first of the year, getting ready to get that geared up. But here I – so you have to come to your answer. I mute everyone's lines here, and still it doesn't work. The mute button. So we have to have you consult to the radio blog talk radio folks. <laughs> Their mute button works. It's not working. But yeah, so anyway, whatever have you here, David. Whatever you were doing, just do the opposite. That's the trick. Do the opposite. Well, you. Oh, I know. I, it's sometimes you wonder technology. What can you say? So anyway, what you got for a technology update today, my friend? Well, we got a lot of cool stuff. Last week, I was going to touch a little bit on artificial intelligence. And since we didn't get there and we talked more on the digital mortgage side, I thought we'd, we'd cover right. that today. There's definitely Good. a whole bunch of news in the industry. And I think next week, I'll bring some, some trending news topics. But this is a pretty pretty cool topic. So overall, everyone's been hearing artificial intelligence. It's It's been talked about for a long time. And most people think of artificial intelligence as sort of um, – a robot or a, a preset type of communication layer that will understand certain sentences and perform some certain action. But in reality, artificial intelligence has been around for a very long time. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to bring some interesting facts out. Artificial intelligence, digital assistants, voice-enabled speakers, a published article by eMarketer recently stated that voice-enabled speaker usage grows nearly 130%. And Amazon controls 70% of the market with Google wow. Home owning 23% of the market. David, do you have a, an Amazon Alexa or an Echo at home? I haven't done that. I've heard, I mean, it's a paranoid thing to me. I don't want it's, someone listening in on my covers. I mean, is it as secure as what people – I've heard the demos. I've seen the demos of Motivity. Uh, they gave a demo of this where an underwriter was sitting at her desk and said, Hey, Alexis, how many files yeah. do I have coming in? And Lexus went and read the database, brought back. It says, you have uh, this many files in the pipeline. You have this one that's been waiting this long. It was basically verbalized what was in a report, but it was able to, like, the underwriters looked over her shoulder and looked at Lexus, and not that you have to look at it, but he <laughs> gave, gave her a voice inquiry, and it back came. So it seems to be really the thing, Alan, that I think we're going to see sitting at everyone's desk. Yeah, there's an app that you can download called Dog Bark, and your dog can bark, and it barks back, and they can just go on and on for 20 minutes. So artificial <laughs> intelligence is, is ready. Right? It's here. So some pretty interesting numbers. Alexa alone could be worth $10 billion by 2020 at the latest, according wow. to RBC Capital Markets. That comes from the sales of devices as well as consumers spending more on Amazon's platform. So if, you, if you're not familiar with it, you can create what's called an Amazon skill. And that's exactly what you demoed. It's a skill that can interact with your own technology, and you can have it do your own thing. Interesting. That yeah. is so amazing. This year alone, 60.5 million Americans will use Siri on the iPhone, and the heaviest users of digital assistants are people between the ages of 25 and 34. 
They represent 26.5% of all virtual assistant users. So our younger age borrowers, so to say, in our industry, are the ones that are actually using the highest percentage of these digital assistants. And they expect that more than one-third of all millennials will use a virtual assistant this year alone. Some other interesting information. A recent report by the National Association of Realtors. So very interesting. I don't know if you've looked at their 2017 report, but they put together, you know, it's like 50 pages of, of interesting information. They basically say that homeowners under the age of 36 years old make up the majority of buyers in the United States at 34%, with 66% of that 34% purchasing for the first time. And 62% of those buyers had at least one child under the age of 18 residing in the home. So that's just bringing the technology home. It's there. People are using it. They're engaged with it. And among all generations, the first step taken to look, at, to look for online properties, except for buyers 71 years and older who contacted a real estate agent first, was done through technology. And so what is that? what's going on in our industry, right? And, and by the yeah. way, Red, Redfin, which, which is a technology, um, a very big real estate technology uh, company, they've just crossed into the mortgage side of the business. You know, folks like that on the real estate side are trying to bring that transaction together. And I think artificial intelligence will help bridge the gap because you're interfacing with one entity. It doesn't mean that it's voice assistant. It doesn't have to necessarily be something that you can see, but the interaction, the process. And that's what I'm going to talk about. So closer to home, you know, what's going on today? Well, there's a lot happening. Actually, it's been going on for a long time, but in today's landscape, it's more adopted. Information provides faster information. It provides more informed decisions. So the artificial intelligence, the technology of that behind the scenes is able to see data, build trends of that data, culminate and, yeah. and massage that data. So in the end, it can, it can do more with it. Just two, two last points, David. It helps perform some, some century-old tasks, and it's doing a lot behind the scenes. And it also helps with back-end workflow automation. And I think that's the biggest piece, right, is, is how can you create better efficiency using this artificial intelligence. And when I said it's been around for a long time, it has. It's been around on the predictive analytics side. It's been around on the first sort of websites that were there for, for loan officers to be able to take apps from borrowers <laughs> and, and what happens yeah. in that workflow process behind the scenes. So I think it's a little bit rebranded, and there's been a lot more technology that, that has come into it. One last piece I'll Lots leave you with is Datanomers. They're a New Jersey fintech startup. They've created a financial risk profiler, and they were featured with the word artificial intelligence all around them. They also, at Finnovate Fall, which just recently happened last month, they were, they were one of the hot companies. And what they're doing is they're creating the process for the underwriter. They're going out to social media and everywhere they can on the Internet, and they're finding as much information about those applicants, and they're aggregating all that data together, and they're using that data to help the underwriter understand who they're dealing with. And so you're going to start to see more technology like that hit us as well. Fascinating stuff. One person just texted me and said, why are you waiting till the first of the year to start this? This is so fascinating. Can't wait for this segment to happen. The other one says, I'm renaming my system. I don't want to ask Lexus. I'm going to ask, ask Alice. So we may, we may have to trademark awesome. your name, Alice, and get in that oh. hilarious. Ask Alice. So anyway, good David, job, I'm Alan. Gonna Appreciate it. Minute. I'm going to steal one more minute of your time. And then you can mute me. For those that are super tech savvy, there is a tomorrow streamed live. Go to digitaltrends.com. There is the epic USA versus Japan giant robot battle. And it's the battle to oh, the death. Uh, so check it out. Every, every nerd is going to be there dialed in now. That's good. Alice, so what do you think about that? Ask Alice. Ask Alice. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> it's been done, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's been done. <laughs> We're gonna have to. You have to trademark your name here. You're getting famous all on the radio program. So ask Alice. Yeah, that's a great one. Alan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We got Jim Blanchard coming you up right after the break, and we're looking forward to having everyone, all our regulars, participate in this discussion, folks. We're gonna be right back with the KPI of the week. Hello, thanks very much, David. Always good to be here. And this week's key performance indicator is application to funded cycle time. Uh, since the arrival of TRID, cycle time measurements have obviously come to the forefront, everything from looking at the entire application to funded cycle uh, down to sub-cycles or cycle time between milestones. Everyone wants to compress cycle time, and the beauty of this type of strategic KPI is that it can be tied to operational KPIs that track the tasks or processes within the cycle that contribute to how long or short that cycle is. So operational KPIs can be thought of as the cause, and strategic KPIs are the effect 
uh, and balancing and monitoring these key measurements really can drive performance, and this demonstrates again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, David, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. Yes, what gets measured gets results. Great way to go about manage your business with intentionality. How about that? Well, I've got a good friend coming on. We have a good friend coming back to the radio program, Jim Blanchard. Jim is motivated as anyone I've ever met, as energetic as anyone. I won't mention his age, but he's a. Uh, I'm 67. He's got me by uh, by almost 10 years. We won't break up your age, but you're about 10 years older than I am. So anyway, he's helped so many people in so many areas over the last 40 years. And I kid you not, I hope to have half the energy he does at his age. He goes strong. And folks, he gave a presentation recently at the Mortgage Collaborative Summer Conference. And I kid you not, he stepped off the table and our table was swarmed with people signing up. I want the Berkman, I want the Berkman. And it's not because the Berkman assessment. Now, we're going to talk about the Berkman and compare it to some of the others out there. We're going to get into it just, we're going to spend a lot of time on it. It's the Blanchard factor. I don't care which assessment tool you take, you got to put the Blanchard factor on top of it because Jim Blanchard has a way of bringing knowledge across that will help your organization have something he refers to as organizational health. Jim, we're honored to have you here, my friend. Good to have you back. Thank you kindly, sir. One of the things, Jim, that we're doing in our advertising is we talk about using the information in hiring and simulating and developing and managing people. And could you expand on the information? And for those of you, you're going to be seeing some new websites, some new videos that are going up on the website this week with Jim Blanchard, featuring Jim Jam Blanchard. So talk about that, Jim. One of the things that's true in this industry as well as any other industry is that we hire people for technical skills but we fire them for behaviors. So we'll train our employees on computer systems, all that great stuff Alan talks about, but we don't spend much time teaching our managers how to motivate and incent people. So we lose productive people because we've not met their needs and because we probably know what they are. So there's a lot of information that says people leave their leaders, they don't leave the companies. So our job is to work with the clients to develop behavior-based position descriptions. We map those to the Berkman profile so we can ask better interview questions and find the best fit for the applicant and the company. It's not a silver bullet. You can't use it as a screen, but good behavioral position descriptions and a tool that allows you to map those behaviors to something scientific is really a powerful team to help with the hiring process, with the onboarding process, and with the assimilation process. Talk about the assimilation process. What are you talking about when you say assimilation? We kind of have some understanding about training and retention, but... Talk about the simulation and how this all comes together. Well, one of the things that's really interesting is we hire somebody and we put them on a team, but we forget the fact that the team has a culture already built into it. So when you bring anybody, mm. one new person into the team, particularly if it's a leader, you have changed the entire dynamic of the team. The benefit of using a tool like the Berkman is that it looks at nine dimensions of the individual in the group. It identifies the culture of the existing group when you're hiring, you can determine whether you want to hire to complement it, to supplement it, to expand it. Then you bring everybody together in a room and you share these things back and forth so there's a language to understand the behaviors, but there's not surprises as to how you react or how you don't react. What I've really found interesting about your presentation, I've heard you give so many of these. I just sit at the edge of my chair because it's one of the things we focus on, people, process, and product, and people is one of the most complicated parts of it. But in the recent TMC conference, you spoke about how our perception of ourselves and our perspectives of how others behave may be different. Can you give an example that this, how this applies in our business? Yes. A good example would be, you have a producer, a loan officer, and that loan officer probably has high persuasion skills. They're a very direct communicator. They're very high energy. They tend to skim over details to create enthusiasm. And yeah, yeah. that's their outward behavior. Sounds familiar. And Yeah, one or two of them. And then you have somebody that's, that's your processor, and that processor person is focused on detail, accuracy, being very careful. So the processor comes to the detail person and says, we've got to get this out. Let's do it really quickly. Their natural style, their gift is to be direct and straightforward. However, the processor might not hear it the same way that it's being delivered because what the Berkman measures is how you, how you do things, what your, your self-reported usual behavior is, but it also measures how you expect other people to be or to treat you. So, 
for example, David, you and I have these same scores. We can talk about both of us. David and I yep. both sound very direct and straightforward. However, if somebody says something overly direct or overly straightforward to me, I hear it potentially as an attack or criticism. And I will go to my stress behavior, which is either withdraw, my wife says I pout, or to overjustify <laughs> my position and shout at somebody. Now, you can't tell that I need that kind of treatment by the manner in which I speak to you. So every interaction has to do with two people, me and you. If right. I speak to you in a direct manner and you expect to hear it in a respectful, careful manner, you're going to go to stress. You're going to hit stress back at me. That will push my stress on. And the communication just devolved. So if you have the information, it's possible to know how the person wants to be treated and modify your behavior, plus the person on the receiving end can modify their behavior to come together. Without that, you go immediately to judgment and stress. That is so interesting. You have a very low usual behavior and a very high need, or I have that, excuse me. And you talk, you know, we have, yeah. and so when you are looking at a test, I mean, it's not a test. It's a, and a, I remember reading something, our daughter, we were visiting our daughter in Branson, Missouri, and she's going to a Kennecott Institute. And they did this. They happened to use the DISC profile and part of it. And also then there, uh, there's other things mixed into that. This may be a good point to interrupt and just have this, what well, some of the things we're talking about and kind of break out. The, probably the most pervasively well-known one at the, the lower price is a disc, but it doesn't measure everything that the Berkman measures. Could you talk briefly to that? Sure. Well, the disc is a great tool. The MBTI is probably the most, the Myers-Briggs is the most popular yeah. one for the longest period of time. Both of the, the Myers-Briggs measures traits, not behaviors. The disc measures behaviors, but both of them only measure your self-reported behavior. This is how I believe I act. And that's great. It's yeah. great to know that. But, for example, for both you and I, your usual behavior, and mine too, is to be very much the talker, persuader, communicator, which is one of the four right. basic personality types. <laughs> Not surprising um, that, that I host that a great podcast. Be a high, that, would be a, <laughs> that would be a high I on the disc, for example. Right. Uh, and it would be an E extrovert on, on the MBTI. So that's great. That's how we look. But the truth is that you need a lot of time away from groups of people. You need a lot of time to stop and think about things, and you need a lot of time to consider possibilities before you go do things. Nobody will know that by observing your very quick response and the matter you're very direct. If you don't know that, then you're likely to talk to someone who has those differences in a way that sets off the stress behavior, which is not productive. So the, the, the advantage the Berkman brings to these other very fine tools is that it measures how you expect other people to treat you and how you react when they don't treat you that way. So if, if you're working with a team, for example, the culture of the team is the combination of their needs, how they need to be treated. If you hmm. bring a leader in who is not aligned with those needs, that may be very good to get the team off the dime, but the interaction between them could become nonproductive, and all of a sudden you've got six to ten months to build trust. And that doesn't work real well. Interesting. That's so interesting. I want to throw the question. I have one more question. Then I'm going to throw it out to Joe and then Alice and Alan to come in and get involved in this thing. So how can that combination affect a mortgage business? Talk about that as it relates to us as mortgage lenders. Okay. As mortgage lenders, you're going to have dramatically different listenings or needs because of the very nature of your business. The, the loan originator is going to have one pretty consistent set because of what they have to do and the people that gravitate to that. Your processors are going to have another one. Your underwriter is going to have an entirely different set. Now, for leaders to lead either one of those or for senior leaders to lead the whole company, they have to understand the differences. And the differences are quite dramatic. And the differences aren't how those people act in the interview or how they act when they're talking to you one-on-one. -on -one. It's how they expect to be treated. If you understand that, there are pieces of the Berkman that say how to motivate this person, how to incentivize this person, how to lead this person. And there are statements where you go to the person and say, which of these is the way you want to be led? The person says that. The leaders can modify their behavior such that they can help bring together collaboration between these people by taking judgment out and putting in a language which is non-judgmental, which is what the Berkman's about. 
The same thing goes on. I'm sitting here in a room where I was talking this morning to an area manager who manages seven sales directors. And he said once he became the area manager, he had to start figuring out how to collaborate between the underwriters and the processors and the salespeople. Well, he can't do that if he doesn't know who those people are. That's why we're spending a lot of time talking about exactly that. So I think does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It really does. Let's get over to uh, Joe. You heard Jim speak at in um, Nashville at the summer conference, and I want to get you in on some of this discussion because you had you took the Berkman, and you've taken it several times. Actually, you've used this tool. Your thoughts? Well, number one, I thought it did a tremendous job of identifying the the people I knew there. It seemed to to do a great job of coming up with the right traits for myself. You know, I noticed it for you. And uh, and so I, I I thought that it was a very good job of that. But Jim, what I wanted to what I wanted to ask was how uh, do you also train people? I, I mean, it, uh, the findings are great, and the number of people that you might have findings on are going to cause you to, if you focus on it, treat them differently. But how do you practically apply it in your everyday communication with lots of people in your office? Is it even possible to do that? I mean, how do you, to me, it seems it seems very difficult to apply. You're right. It is difficult to apply. But the answer is that, yes, you can. First thing that we try to do is we try to train the leaders on how the instrument works and on their own part of the instrument. Then we try to train each of the individual leaders with their team on how to communicate. Second, the third thing we do is we had we give each person a name tag that has the, has symbols on it which identify things, and we ask them to put it on the outside of their cubicle or their office. If you go to Walmart, you'll find this on outside of every office, MailChimp, Emory University, and that's a reminder. Then we also provide each of the leaders materials where once a month at a regular meeting, they can spend five minutes reviewing how this works. One of them is how to talk to me, and you identify how you like to be talked to. I identify how I like to talk to, and we say it out loud. And that begins to bring reminders so it becomes a language. So over a year's period of time, and using the language regularly, using it in hiring, using it in performance measurement, using it in building job descriptions, it becomes the underlying language as to how you communicate with one another. Many of our clients have the grid with this information on it posted in their conference room with everybody on it. And anybody gets new, they get added to it so that people have it as a reminder. It's like anything else. You have to have mnemonic devices to do it. But you start out by training the leaders, and then by training the leaders to lead their teams using it. And we provide a lot of tools for each of the leaders to use on a regular basis. Every time they meet with, talk to, you use it regularly, and it becomes the language inside of an organization. Just that wasn't part of the training I had in the past, and that sounds like it would be a vital step in benefiting from this. One of the things that's a problem with any instrument like this is it becomes the one big event. Everybody has a great time. They really enjoy it, and then they put it on the shelf and don't use it after that. We try really hard not to have engagements with clients where it's not an engagement over time as opposed to a one-time show. The neat thing is a lot of the tools we have can be self-administered by the leaders. So if we meet with the leaders once a quarter for a couple hours and walk them through, here's how you use this little tool – and then they go out and do it on a monthly basis with their teams, it becomes the language. It's not expensive for the organization because I don't have to come and do it each time, although I'd like to. (laughs) But it also uses the same language consistently in a way that doesn't require somebody that's super trained in this thing to be able to use it effectively. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's really interesting. It is, it's how to get this. It's intentionality, Joe, and I think that's what you're really speaking of is how do we really integrate this? Because the first time I did this, I, I was holding up. I, I like, excuse me, I can't talk to you because I need to bring up your profile, and then you flip it through the profile, and you look at it and say, now, I can't say this. I should say that. And, boy, I tell you, it's a, but if you start making this a part of your culture, that's what can make a difference. So, Alice, you guys at Union Home Mortgage do some of this to some degree. What questions do you have for Jim? Ah, uh, yes, we're we're big on the disc assessment. So I'm very interested in Jim's description. As a matter of fact, I can't take notes fast enough for it, so I know <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast multiple times. I've already heard some great things. So since you already described the whole kicking off process, which I think is critical for everybody to understand that 
when you're first starting this, you do need a whole group meeting, but then you have the ongoing people that you keep hiring and you need to keep getting them adopted into the culture and make sure they have ways of doing this. And so I guess my question goes back to the HR implications of this. I I was talking with somebody um, in general about it and they said, you know, you do have to be careful that, you know, this is something that's internal part of the company. Once people get there, you you know, it's not a yes or no, you're hired based on this because there's no wrong answers on this, I guess. I I don't know. I would love your feedback on some of that and and how these should be used internally in the hiring process. Well, let me let me give you a description of how we deal with people when we're helping with hiring. First thing we do is we come and we help people design and build, if they don't have them already, a behavior-based position description. Most position descriptions are describing somebody that doesn't exist. Well, maybe once it existed, but other than that, it's never existed. And they're wanting somebody that's high structure and low structure, somebody that is a, is a direct communicator, somebody that's very sensitive. You can't be all those things. So what we try to do is help somebody describe not just the technical skills they expect, but the behavioral competencies they expect. Also, what outcomes and what what smart goals they want. Once you have that, then we will map the Berkman to those behavioral preferences. Then you go out and you find your top candidates. And when you get to your final couple of candidates, we encourage you to run the Berkman on them. Then we will look at the position description, the resume, the LinkedIn package, and the Berkman for somebody, and we will provide for an HR person or for the hiring manager questions you might want to ask. Let me give you an example. Uh, One of the things we measure is something called insistence, which measures how insistent are you about following a written detailed plan and how much detail can you accept from other people. So I have a very low score on both sides, which means my idea of a plan is north, and I certainly (laughs) don't want anybody to tell me how to do anything. I mean, in a structured manner. However, I live in a world where structure is necessary. So what I have learned is that I use templates and checklists, and I can create very detailed plans, and most people want a 76-point plan out of 99. Now, if I'm interviewing, I'm going to talk about the fact that I can build a plan, and I've built them, and I can show people. But the question to ask me is, give me an example in the past of how you built the plan, and what did you start with? If I say I start with templates and checklists because I can't start with a white piece of paper, they scare me to death, then I'm worth hiring because I know how to get around it. If I say, hey, I can build a plan, then you start asking more questions around structure because that's not a natural gift the person brings. Does that help? Yes, and I think what you've done a great job of is trying to help people frame that the questioning is still about a skill it's not about a personality, and it's about asking the right questions to get to if the skill meets the need for that position for what you're look and your culture. Yeah, the instrument's not a silver bullet; should never be used as a screen. Now, mm-hmm. we, Berkman will take on a project where they will get, take exemplars and they'll set it up and give you a fits the fits the the uh, description, maybe fits the description, does not fit the description. It's a very expensive process; requires a lot of exemplars to do it, but it is viable through the DoD. But that's not what we're talking about. If you're ta- if you're going to hire somebody that's going to going to cost you that you're going to pay a bucket a quarter over $125,000 or that has the potential to earn that. And you, it doesn't seem unreasonable to spend three or $400 to run them through this process before you hire them so that the mistake doesn't go out the other end. We, we talked to a company in your business that had hired over 300 people last year yes. and 226 of them lasted less than 88 days. They calculated that was about a $4.2 million bottom line hit. So your turnover is tough in your business. It's a retention, the way you guys, the way the loan officers bounce around, all that kind of stuff. But if you have, if you understand them, if your leaders know how to use this kind of tool to incent and take care of them, and if they learn to listen carefully, you can reduce that because people lead their leaders. They don't leave companies. Sorry, I get a little passionate That's about great. that. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, we found the same thing. We're, we're firm believers. That is yeah. good, good. There's so much here, and I'm going to run over to Alan. And Alan, as I'm sitting here thinking about how to implement this, was to Joe's point, I'm thinking in my mind of something like a sci-fi movie where you're wearing Google glasses, <laughs> and when someone walks up to the room, in your room, it automatically accesses, does facial recognition, it pops up their profile in the Google glass, 
and it says, to talk to Alan Pollock, be sure to do this and don't do this. Or talking to Alice, <laughs> do this, but whatever you do, don't say yeah. this. And, I mean, how yeah. effective would be that? So, anyway, you got a question here. That's you why I, went, just, I was listening to Joe, Joe's comments. You may have just given our you, listeners a disruptive technology idea, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you ask your Google Glass, you say, Hey, Alice, how do I talk to you? <laughs> say it up pops Alice's profile. So anyway, that's hilarious. So, Jim, um, interesting stuff, and I agree with, with your assessment and what some of what, what Alice and Joe and David have been saying here. Uh, one thing I can tell you is I've taken a disc profile as well as a few others, and the first time I took it, my colleagues had said, that's not who you are. So I took the disc profile as who I wanted to be rather than who I was. So I retook it thinking about who I am today, and it came out and it matched my personality right on. And actually what's even funny is some of the ways that you were describing David, how you were able to pinpoint where he fits on that profile. And I know disc isn't the only tool you use. It's just amazing how when you read that, after you've taken something like that, you can align yourself with it very well. So it's very interesting. But the thing I wanted to just mention quickly, because I know we're short on time, is that what you do also benefits technology companies, not just lenders. So on the technology company side, trying to build a product, trying to put a release together, trying to have good quality and, and interact with sales and innovation, it is just a lot of tension and a lot of stress. It's a lot of fun, too. So I just think that, you know, what you do probably, and you probably work with technology vendors, but it, it fits there real well as, as, as well. Yes, it does. It's an, inter- it's an interesting thing. One of the things that's true about the, the, the Myers-Briggs and the DISC is that they're both about 45 to 75 question uh, assessments. Berkman's 298 of the dumbest questions ever asked. And it turns out that most people's scores, they, you can't, kind of cheat it. Now, I've done this, I've done this work forever. I've done 3,000 people. My wife's done 12. Uh, we've done this a lot. And I was recently asked to take the instrument again to, for a particular reason. I know what each one of the questions is asking. And I, I went through it and tried not to game it. And it turned out that I didn't change, my scores didn't change from 30 years ago when I took it the first time. It didn't change a standard deviation on any of the scores. And my need scores changed, stayed the same. You won't find that on the Myers-Briggs or the DISC. It will change based on what you're going to do because there's not enough intelligence built into the instrument. Again, great tools, but they don't tell you how you expect others to be, and that's the biggest motivator. If you're in the environment that makes you happy, you will be more productive than if you're in an environment that does not make you happy. Yeah, that's that's great. It's it's so true. And one of our listeners wrote says, "Could you have him repeat the difference between the what what uh, Berkman assessment measures, what DISC measures, and what Myers Briggs measures?" If you could just run through those real quickly, they were taking notes and couldn't get that information fast enough. <laughs> okay, the the Myers Briggs measures traits. The the DISC measures perception. Uh, measures behaviors. They both measure self-reported usual behavior. This is how I believe I behave in situations. The Berkman measures four things. First thing it measures, which we haven't even talked about, is what it is you like to do. What, is, what are your interests? What are the activities that make you happy? That's a motivator. Then it measures yep. how you expect other people to treat you or the environment that makes you most comfortable. That's the other motivator. Between those two things, it sets up what makes you happy and what motivates you and how do you expect to be treated. Two behaviors are driven by that. One is called your usual behavior, which is similar to what the DISC and the Myers-Briggs measure. It's your self-reported behavior. This is how I act. The other is what we call needs. And needs are your description of how you expect other people to be which is when you answer those questions, you're painting a picture of how you want them to act toward you. So in my wow. let me give you another example in my case. I, am, I have a very high score on something that's called acceptance. Acceptance measures social energy. I, like, I look like a people person. I'm out with groups of people. I, I, I work groups really well. I look really friendly and really energetic. That's my usual behavior. On a 99 scale, it's a 99. My need or how I expect other people to be is a five, which basically means I, I say that I am much more social than most people. So if I am around people too long, I feel uncomfortable. 
So what happens is a switch right. that goes off, and then I don't want to be with people. So I can't be that really friendly person if I don't have a lot of time away from the demands of people, but nobody would ever know that to look at me. That's why it's useful to know both things. Hope mm-hmm. I answered the question. It did. Oh, it did. The, the, the other behavior, just so the much other behavior with, stress. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. And that was why probably stress. the most. In, yeah. And, and we have a little bit of stress. It's called the end of the month, and every you know, eighty percent of the loans have to close towards the end of the month. It creates huge stress behavior. And I thought it's schizophrenic there for a while because I'm going. I have this huge behavior or, or change. It's like someone says, "You like to become Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde." It's I become extremely directive, and I think it's so important that we all understand this, and we don't get to wear the Google glasses. We don't get to do this that tells us in advance. So you have to be intentional about this. I'm looking at all the points we were trying to get to in our interview today, and we just got to just opening comments hardly. Uh, Barely got through those. For people that want to get a hold of you, Jim, to really dive into this and their organizations, what is the most effective way? And I know you got a TMS email address, but also a cell phone. If you could provide both of that for for our listeners. Okay, well, I'm green, so green is the color of talk of persuader communicators. So I like people to talk face-to-face. So my cell phone, which is the only phone I have, is 512-203-7422. You can also reach me at jblanchard at tms-advisors.com. Yep, that's advisors, O-R-S, at the end. Yes. He would prefer talking to you, listeners, so give him a call. You'll enjoy the conversation. My favorite quote is David Kittle. I don't need another assessment. I'll do it if I have to, and I'll talk to Jim if I have to. It was an hour and a half, two hours later, he called me and says, oh, my God, we've got to book him as a keynote speaker. It was really good. Thanks so much for coming on the program today, folks. I encourage you to spend some time in this area. It's people, process, and products, and you can't get anyone better to help you on leadership communication, internal communication than Jim Blanchard. Folks, next week's podcast will be done from the NBA annual convention. Tune in. Pay attention to the website. We'll be giving you more specifics as to the when we're going to do it. Maybe a regular time, but we're trying to rearrange it so that we can do it at a time where everybody, where we can attend some of the general sessions and actually bring you a report about some of those general sessions. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, Motivity Solutions, Velma, Simplified, Mortgage Collaborative, and Finastra. Have a great week. Check out our new website, Lick on lending and all you'll find a listing of each one of the segments in their entirety just by there or you just want to listen to Jim's segment today don't want to have all the other stuff to listen to it's there it'll be on the website here shortly good to talk to you everybody have a great week and look forward to talking to you from Denver next week talk to you soon You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.